Romans chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. Galatians chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. And Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 10 and 11. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we bless, praise, and glorify you this morning. We pray that you would be gracious to us that you would give to us listening ears, believing hearts, and understanding minds, that your spirit would, would empower your word this morning in our hearts and in our lives as we look closer at the arguments against the Sabbath. We pray, God, that you would help us to see clearly what you are communicating to your people in your word. We ask that you would be glorified. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, we come now to the fifth sermon in our doctrine of the Christian Sabbath. I believe that with God's help, we have established a great argument in favor of a preservance or a present observance of the new Christian Sabbath. And yet, there are still questions. There are still objections, even. And those objections, those questions, are rooted in the passages that we have just read this morning. At first glance, reading those three passages, it would appear to refute All that we have labored to present over the past five weeks, wouldn't it? At first reading in Romans, it would appear that the apostle Paul is rebuking those who judge the way that believers observe certain days and that the way that you observe any day should be left to your own conscience. You should be able to worship God as you please. It appears that that was that is what Paul is saying in the book of Romans. In Galatians It would appear that Paul is disappointed, worried even, that there are believers who are still observing special days, 
special months, years, calling those observances weak, worthless, and even elemental. And it would appear that the final nail in the coffin comes in Colossians, where Paul says, once again, Paul, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, regards to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, the opponents of the Christian Sabbath, they are called anti-Sabbatarians, attempt to use these passages, but especially Colossians chapter 2, as their ace in the sleeve. They believe that this passage in in Colossians, Colossians destroys all arguments of a present observance of the Sabbath, let alone a Christian Sabbath. So they believe Colossians 2 is their ace in the sleeve. Pull out Colossians 2 and the argument is over. But is it really that simple? Is it really that simple? Do do these passages teach that there is not a new Christian Sabbath? Do these passages teach that, that no one should judge how you observe a day of worship? Use it however you'd like to. Do these passages teach that the Sabbath or rest principle is left to the preference of the believer? Whatever you want to do. Do these these passages teach that the new Christian Sabbath is not binding on believers, but that it is a shadow fulfilled in Christ? Brothers and sisters, no, they do not. And we must beware of this. We must beware of taking a simplistic approach to Scripture. If you're taking notes, that's really important. Beware of taking a simplistic approach to Scripture, meaning this. We must not be a people who are not willing to do the work that it takes to to properly exegete a text. We must not be a people who who run from hermeneutics. That is the the science of interpreting a scripture or passage, but run to hermeneutics. And it is with hermeneutics, the tools of hermeneutics, the analogy of faith, scripture, interpreting scripture and biblical theology that we will be equipped to make sense of these passages. And, and as we, we go into these passages, we must carry with us all that we have learned thus far in, uh, in this series thus far into understanding these passages, and we will see them much more clearer. This morning, we, we're going to use as a resource Dr. Sam Waldron's book that was posted on Facebook this past week, The Lord's Day. And it's going to help us answer the opponent's of the sabbath we will address four errors four errors concerning these passages but before we do that let us do what most people don't do when considering these three texts let us seek to understand the context of each of these texts if you understand the context of each of of each of these texts those statements will make so much more sense the context is the first step is the first step in proper hermeneutics. The context is the first step in proper hermeneutics. And I believe that we after seeing the context will properly understand the rest of these passages if we deal with the first one, which is this Colossians 2. If we properly understand the context of Colossians 2, we will understand Galatians 
and Romans much easier. So let's understand this morning the context of Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is confronting, here's a note you should write, Paul is confronting a hybrid heresy. Hybrid heresy. It was a heresy that was a combination, that's why it's a hybrid, of Gnosticism, which, which is a belief that spirit is good and matter is evil, and Judaism. Combination of, of Gnosticism and Judaism mixed with Christianity. It's a hybrid heresy. There was a group of Jewish Christians, so-called Christians, who became known as the Judaizers. And they were infiltrating all the churches. They were not really believers, though. Why? Because they taught that one must be circumcised to be saved. Submit to the law of Moses to be saved. Submit to the oral traditions of the law and be saved. Submit to the ceremonial practices and be saved. Listen, and also believe in Jesus. And then you will be saved. What were they teaching? They were teaching salvation by works. This group, this, these Judaizers, they were a constant thorn in the side of the Apostle Paul. All of the apostles, but especially the Apostle Paul. They challenged his apostleship. And listen, if you challenge his apostleship, what else are you challenging? His authority. If you challenge his apostleship, he's not really an apostle. You'll see this in, in Corinthians. They are challenging his apostleship, and he's defending his apostleship. If they're challenging his apostleship, they're, they're challenging his authority to teach. Therefore, whatever he says is not authoritatively from God. These Judaizers were saying, Paul is wrong. You must still submit to the law, moral and civil, or civil and ceremonial. You must still submit to that. And you can again read that Paul is rebuking this heretical group in Romans. Rebuking this heretical group, especially in Galatians. And in the book of Colossians, he's also judging this same group who is judging the believers. Why are they judging believers? Why are the Judaizers coming to these churches and judging believers? What do the Judaizers believe? You must submit to all of these practices of the old order, the Old Testament, and believe in Jesus to be saved. So they're coming to these new believers who trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And, and what are they doing? They're casting judgment on them and saying to them, you are not saved. Unless you still do these things. And they are bringing judgment on believers. They're trying to bring them back to elemental things. They're trying to bring them to observe certain meals, festivals, and new moons. And the seventh day Sabbath. The Apostle Paul, speaking to this group and groups like them, encourages the believers in Colossians 2.18, Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, spirituality. This is what? Early Gnosticism. Let no one judge you, therefore. Let no one disqualify you. And he, he says prior to this, the Apostle Paul in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Judgment on you in question of food, drink, with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. What is he talking about? Who is he talking about? The Judaizers who promoted 
a yoke to be placed back onto the shoulders of God's people. Brothers and sisters, this is a situation that Paul is addressing in Romans. Did you hear that? This is the situation, this is the circumstance, these are the people that Paul is addressing in Romans. Go back to Galatians, read the entire book. The entire book is a rebuke against the, the Judaizers and also an encouragement to the believers and a rebuke to the believers. How foolish you are. So quickly you are turning back. Don't listen to these men. That's the context. That's the main intent even of, of Galatians. It was to address the heresy of salvation by works rather than salvation by faith in Christ alone. Are you with me? Notice in Colossians 2.16. Paul addresses ceremonial observances by the phraseology or the wording that he uses in combination. He says food, drink, festival, new moon, or Sabbath. Now, let me ask you a question. Is Paul just randomly saying, hey, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, celebrate whatever you want? That's not what he's saying. Is Paul specifically using this phrase where he says food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath? Is he using that intentionally? And listen, and if he is, where is he getting it from? Brothers and sisters, what I just shared with you right now is the first steps into biblical theology. Understanding where does that come from or the analogy of faith scripture interpreting scripture. Where did he get this phrase from? Did he just pull it out of the blue? No, it's a reference food drink festival Sabbath days They are references to the Old Testament It is a summary statement of Jewish holy days. So a Jewish reader hearing this phrase food drink festival new moon Sabbath they know exactly where that's coming from. You don't. Why? Because you're not reading your word. Someone can take these passages and say, hey, see, no more Sabbath. And not understand, where does that come from? What is he referencing? He's referencing, he's referencing things that have been fulfilled in Christ. He's referencing these Old Testament order of things that were shadows of Christ to come. And Paul is saying, these things have been fulfilled in Christ, the old order of things. Where are they coming from? Second Chronicles 31.3. We find these words being used together, these same ones. Food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath. Where is Paul taking, taking it from? The old order of things. In Leviticus, especially Leviticus, read the entire chapter. It's broken up in, in terms of feast to the Lord and the Sabbath. And here's how it's broken up. Instructions for the Passover. Feast of first fruits. Feast of weeks. Feast of trumpets. The day of atonement. And the feast of boots. Go back and read Leviticus. The entire chapter is broken up each of those sections with each of those celebrations. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul has these things in mind when he's addressing these New Testament believers. The Apostle Paul has a particular view in mind. Not, not any type of day, but Jewish holy days that are summarized under festivals, Passovers, Pentecost, Boots. And each of them carried a Sabbath with them. 
Paul says to the believer, you are not obligated to observe these anymore of the old order. Why not? Why? Because they have been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, let no man judge you. You hear that? They have been, the old order of things have been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, let no man judge you. And listen, there was a transition taking place. What is that transition? It's a transition from understanding that these festivals, meals, observances, the seventh-day Sabbath, it's a, it's a transition and an understanding that they have been fulfilled in Christ. And for the Jew, that was quite a transition. How? You mean I no longer have to observe these traditions, these ceremonies that not, not only I, but my people have been celebrating for over a millennia? No more? So when those times rolled around, can you imagine if you have been programmed all of your life to celebrate things, these, these things, and now there is an apostle who says, no more. You don't need to. Can you imagine the, the, just the, the creature of habit that we are, the difficulty that it would be to not celebrate Christmas? Try to go to another country and celebrate Thanksgiving. It'll be weird for you. No one's celebrating it. It's an American thing. And now all of a sudden... You have these Jewish believers who were saying, this is strange. I'm no longer celebrating a new moon festival. I'm no longer celebrating a, a, a festival of booths. Instead, this apostle has, has been given revelation that these things have been fulfilled because Christ has come. Now, you can imagine the difficulty. The Gentiles had no problem with this because they never were celebrating these things to begin with. But for the Jews, unfathomable. Stop these things? Why? Again, why was it no longer necessary for the Jews to celebrate and observe these laws, these ceremonial laws in their Old Testament order? Why? Because, listen, those festivals, those celebrations, those observances, they were all shadows. Shadows of which Christ was the fulfillment. They were types Christ was the antitype. That they were pointing to. They were signs pointing to. And Christ was the substance or the fulfillment of all of those signs, those shadows, and those types. They all pointed to Christ. He's the substance of those things. So to observe those things continually is to say what about Christ? That he's not the fulfillment of those things. That he is the type still, that he still is the shadow. And that's what Paul is addressing. Don't observe those Old Testament order of things, because if you do, you're saying Christ has not come. And that he's not the fulfillment. Does that make sense? The Passover. What was it? The Passover of Egypt was a shadow or type of Christ that pictured what? Christ as being the lamb who would save his people from the wrath of God. He fulfilled that. So when we see the Passover in the book of Exodus, we are looking at a type or a shadow of what Christ will be. Got that? And he fulfills that. The Passover, the Pentecost, the Pentecost feast celebrated the end of the harvest. And what was it? It was a picture of a greater harvest. All of that time, the Pentecost celebration was a, a shadow pointing to Christ 
who would bring in a greater harvest fulfilled in Christ when the spirit of God pours out on the church into the nations and his people come to him. That was the fulfillment of Pentecost. The Feast of Booths was a remembrance and a celebration for the people of God. The people were to come to Jerusalem and live in booths or live, live in tents for a week. For what? To remind them of the time in Exodus when they were sojourners. To remind them when they were pilgrims in this world. And, and when, the, when they looked forward to the skull-crushing seed of the woman who would finally come and bring them rest. That was fulfilled in Christ. Christ comes and he brings his people to himself and says, he is the rest giver. The new moon. What was the new moon festival? Jeremiah 31 and Jeremiah 33. God prophesies that there is a new covenant coming. And he promises that he will fulfill it. And he uses the moon and the sun as his example. Just as the sun shines day after day. Just as the moon shines day after day. And they do not fail to shine So my word will not fail to be fulfilled. I will send to you my redeemer. Your your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Your, your, Your mourning into gladness. And how would he do this? Again, through the Messiah. Through the skull crushing seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how does the Sabbath play into all of those things? Because we see that the festivals are fulfilled. Now, what about the Sabbath? Because that is still the question at hand, is it not? What was the purpose of the Sabbath? The old order Sabbath, set apart by God, made for man. The seventh day, look backward. And it also pointed forward. The seventh day pointed backward to God as creator who worked six days and then rested. It pointed backward to men who sinned and rebelled. Failing to attain the creator's what? He failed to create. He failed to attain the creator's what? Rest. This is the part where I pause to see if you're following me. Pause. He failed to create. He failed to attain the creator's rest. The seven day Sabbath also what? Looked forward to what? To salvation in Christ. To salvation that would come through the Messiah. And all of this is woven into what Paul is speaking about. The days and festivals were not ends in and of themselves. They were shadows of Christ who was to come. And he came. And Christ appeared. Therefore, no believer was obligated to keep those those things in their old order. Because Christ has come. Now, if Christ has not come, continue to keep these ordinances in, listen, and I keep saying this, in their old order, in the Old Testament form. If Christ has not come, but has Christ come? Yes, he has come. Therefore, should you be worshiping today or yesterday? Today. If Christ has not come, then you should all be seven-day Adventist. But if Christ has come, then there is no reason why you should worship on a Saturday. Brothers and sisters, that's the context of Colossians. That's exactly, listen, you take that context of Colossians and apply that to Romans. Because who's who's the same speaker? Paul, what's the same issue? 
Judaizers who are trying to put the yoke of Judaism back on Jewish believers and on Gentiles as well, by the way. Take that and apply it to Galatians. It's the same issue magnified. There is your context. That's the context. Paul is speaking of of believers observing the old covenant things, and he refers to them as being elemental. In Colossians 2, Paul is establishing, yes, the seventh-day Sabbath has been abrogated, removed, done away with. Listen, but the abrogation of the seventh-day, the removal of the seventh-day Sabbath, does not therefore eliminate the Lord's Day Christian Sabbath. You with me? Just because seventh day has been abrogated, that doesn't mean first day has been abrogated. Seventh day has been fulfilled. First day is still a sign that points forward yet. Amen. And it also points back. It points back to what Christ has accomplished, and it points forward to what Christ will still yet do in his return. God says the Sabbath days old are shadows of Christ to come, and he has come. Therefore, No one can obligate you to that seven day. So if a seven day Adventist tells you, you must observe the seven day, ask him simply, has Christ come? Yes. What was the point of the seven day? What was it pointing towards Christ? Great. So I'll see you Sunday. They either don't believe he's come or they don't understand Colossians. And and for that matter, they also don't understand Hebrews. Because all the people that I listened to over this past week, no one wants to touch Hebrews. And I just gave you a whole sermon last week on Hebrews itself. So we don't take one passage and say, here's this, and don't consider everything that we've just done over the past five weeks. Does that make sense? This also means. Now, let's do this. Now that we've unearthed the context, let's get into the errors. Four, four errors, considering these texts are concerning these texts. Number one, the error of Christian liberty. The error that is made in these texts is, number one, that we have our own liberty to do with the Sabbath as we will. The opponents of the Sabbath say <clears throat> these passages teach all observances of days in the new covenant are a matter of Christian liberty. They say the principle of rest is biblical but the day of rest is a matter of preference pause on that they say the principle of rest is biblical but the day of rest is a matter of preference so could we be worshiping on tuesday right now in that argument in that argument yes you could in that argument you could worship on friday if you want to it's up to you in that argument so listen to this so that rather than god deciding on what day man must worship and rest as he did in the creation of the world, he now allows man to decide on what day he will rest and worship the Lord. Does that make any sense? This implies what? That Christ is not Lord of the Sabbath. You are Lord of the Sabbath. So our meeting on the first day of the week is simply a matter of preference, our preference. It's a voluntary custom. Something that God has not revealed through revelation, but that man has just preferred over time and has picked up. Constantine instituted it, and now here we are. At first glance, it would appear that Romans, Galatians, and Colossians seem to support that notion. 
Brothers and sisters, we've already seen the context. But we've also done something even better. We've spent an entire sermon on the change from the seventh day to the first day and gave you six reasons why the first day is unique. Remember that? We consider the fact that the first day and the eighth day of great great importance in the Old Testament Jewish communities. We considered how the New Testament uniquely points out that Christ rose from the dead on the first day. And that it is the only day in all of the New Testament that is numbered the first day. Referenced by its number. We considered the unique distinction given to the first day. Because of the unique occurrences that appeared or occurred on the first day. What? Christ rose from the dead. Christ appeared to Mary, to the disciples. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church all on the first day and so much more. All of these gave a uniqueness to the first day that was recognized by the disciples as God. God. God instituting a new Christian Sabbath. We considered how the apostles and the churches met on the first day for worship. They gathered on the first day and how the churches received instructions for first day worship when they gathered. The first day of the week recognized as being set apart by God as the new Christian Sabbath, the the day of sacred rest. The apostle John in Revelation is in the spirit when he gets a vision of catapausis, which means what? Rest. And on what day does he get this vision of rest? On the Sabbatismos. On the Sabbath. And he designates that day as the Lord's day. All days belong to the Lord, but the first day uniquely belongs to God. It has been set apart by God. Man did not set this day apart. God set this day apart. Man did not decide in his own wisdom, hey, the first day would be a good, a good day to worship. And everyone follows suit. The day of worship was something that Constantine did not institute into the church. Brothers and sisters, the church was worshiping on the first day of the week, 300 years before Constantine ever came on the scene. Weak argument. Weak argument that I heard over and over again over this past week when I heard different debates and short videos about the Sabbath. And in 325, Constantine instituted, that's ridiculous. The church had been worshiping for 325 years before Constantine ever came on the scene. Don't buy the Constantine argument. He gets more credit than he deserves. God, through the resurrection of Christ, through revelation, established a positive moral law for his people to worship, to rest, to observe this day as a sign for the believer that we are looking forward to what? The consummated eternal rest in Christ that he gives in his return. The Lord's day is the new Christian Sabbath. Just as the Father rested when he completed the work of creation, so also the Lord Jesus Christ worked until he completed his work, sat down at the right hand of the Father, showing that he had accomplished the high priestly task of atonement for his people. Christ rested as he inaugurated a new creation, a people for his own praise and glory. Brings many sons to glory. So then we rest on Sunday. And then we work because Christ has accomplished all work for us. Brothers and sisters, that's a biblical theology of the first day. Go through scriptures. That's a biblical theology of the first day. Biblical theology of rest. We already exegeted Hebrews chapter 4. Scripture is interpreting scripture. Just as our confession says. Chapter 1, paragraph 9. The infallible rule of, of interpretation of scripture 
is Scripture itself. How, how, what is the infallible rule? What is the perfect interpreter? The Scriptures itself. And the Scriptures have shown us, yes, there is a first day new Christian Sabbath. If we argue the first day of the week is a matter of Christian liberty, then there's no distinction of days. Or if we argue that there is no Christian liberty, then we are saying that there is no distinction of days. Now that's hard. Because what do we say to Christ who rises on the first day? To the disciples who worship on the first day? What do we say to the church who gathered on the first day with instructions? What do we say to John who so often calls this first day the Lord's day? We're denying scripture after scripture after scripture that shows us this day is uniquely set apart by God. But what about Romans and what about Galatians? Again, don't be so simple. If you say, hey, that's what it says. And if you use that kind of reasoning and if you're going to be consistent with that kind of reasoning, that's what it says. That's what it is. If you're consistent with that kind of reasoning, then why don't you read passages like John 14, 28? You know what that says? Jesus says, my father is greater than I. Now, if you're consistent with your reasoning of that's what it says, so that's what it is. Then you must also be consistent to conclude that Jesus and God are not equal. If that's the kind of reasoning you're going to hold to. Now, do you believe that? No. Three and one, one and three, eternally existent, eternally equal. Now, why do you believe that? Because scripture has other things to say about that. And it could be that Jesus was not talking about his divinity, but his humanity. See how we understand things like that? So when we come to places like Romans and Galatians and Colossians, you've got to do your homework. Don't be so simple to say, well, that's what it says. Don't be so simple. Do some homework. Do some homework. Next one. Uh, second error, the do not judge error. The do not judge error. The error of don't judge me. Colossians 2.16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you, on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. This passage is interpreted in a few different ways. One is that we are not to judge those who worship on days other than the Christian Sabbath. Secondly, that we are not to judge how people observe it. So first, don't judge me on what day I worship. Second, don't judge me on how I worship. There are people who hold that strongly. Listen, not just one group. I told you a wide range of people. I'll tell you this. It's the predominant view. This Reformed Baptist view or the Reformed view, it's the more narrow view. You're in the minority right now. Is that what Paul is teaching? Is Paul teaching that we are not to judge on what day you worship and how you worship? And listen, for many of us, we would feel very comfortable if that was the interpretation. According to our sinful nature, we would love for the Bible to say, pick a day, any day. Do with it as you will. Yes. One minister recently said, Mark Driscoll, I said his name. He recently said, and listen, what he says is what many people say. Don't get it twisted, okay? 
He says the day of worship is to be determined by wisdom, or he says it's a wisdom call. It's up to you. And he also said, and the way you find rest is also up to you. Now, that last part, I think there would be some who would disagree. He says, and I wanted to say something else, but I'm not going to do that. He says, if you find rest on top of a mountain and that's your day of rest, then that's your prerogative. If you find rest on a canoe, a lake, then that is up to you and no one can judge you for doing so. And he uses Colossians 2.16 as his proof text. Now, in context, is that what Paul is saying? Not at all. That we may observe the Christian Sabbath by going on a mountain, climbing a mountain, canoeing, going on a lake. Listen, staying home. This is my rest. Cleaning. I get, I get thera- therapy from this. You are in sin. Play hooky. I won't go to the evening service. I'll watch the game. No. That is not what Paul is teaching. And I will judge you. I will say you are in sin. Don't judge my Sabbath, bro. I will. Why? Because when we go through the book of Hebrews, especially, we have great warrant to do so. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. Brothers and sisters, to interpret this text in a manner, in that manner, completely misses the underlying point. The reason one ought not to judge in regard to the observances in Colossians is in regard to food, drink, festival, new moon, or Sabbath. And that is of the old order. Meaning this, Paul is encouraging the believers, don't let someone hold you to the old order of things because those things have been fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, worship him as he has commanded you to worship him, as he has established for you to worship him, and he has given you this first day as your new Christian Sabbath. Going back to those things are weak, elemental. But that does not include this Sabbath, does it? No. The Sabbath of the Old Covenant, but not the Sabbath of the New Covenant. You're reading that into the text. No, I'm not. What are these observances? Again, they come directly from the Old Testament. And they've been fulfilled in Christ. Now, here's error number three. The error... Of this is not talking about the Sabbath. Now, that's an error that evangelicals and even Reformed people make. That when I see Sabbath, he doesn't really mean Sabbath. Now, that's a dangerous error to make because, yes, he does mean Sabbath. But if you understand what Sabbath and in context what the Sabbath meant, then you will readily accept the fact that, yes, this is the Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath. Now, here's point number four. Point number four, the error of pointing, therefore, to all Sabbaths. The error of pointing to all Sabbaths. Yes, this is the Sabbath. So one might conclude, well, therefore, all Sabbaths are removed. Not so fast. Not so fast. Is it referring to the, if if it's referring to the seven-day Sabbath, is it referring, therefore, to the first-day Sabbath? Oversimplistic again. Why? Do I need to preach all five sermons all over to you again? Go back and read them. The Old Testament Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. He instituted a new day of rest in his resurrection. 
What if someone says, I don't like calling the Lord's Day the Sabbath or the Lord's Day Sabbath? Let me ask you a question. If you're having that struggle, and, and many of if you might be having that struggle to say, I don't like calling it the Lord's Day Sabbath. It just sounds weird coming out of my mouth. What is the nature of the Lord's Day? It's a day of rest, which was instituted by God at creation and also at the creation of the new people of God in the resurrection of Christ. So it is a creation Sabbath. It's commanded by God to be observed. It's already been established that it remains in Hebrews chapter 4, which most people never deal with. It signifies work that has been accomplished by Christ on behalf of the believer. It signifies Christ has entered his rest. Hebrews tells us that he has passed through the heavens. He's entered his rest. We now observe this day as a sign that we too in him will enter that consummated rest. We are encouraged to strive to enter in as we continue to observe a sabbatismos, fixing our eyes on Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith that will bring us to a catapausis, a rest. Therefore, we are commanded to strive to enter in. And listen, here's the command. And not forsake the assembling of ourselves as we see that day drawing near. See that? Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Not just saying, hey, continue to go to church. He's saying, chapter 4, there is a sabbatismos because we're looking toward a rest. As we look forward to that rest, don't forsake assembling together as we look forward to that day. It's a command. It's not a preference. Keep Sabbath as you see the day. What is that day? The day of Christ's return drawing near. Keep coming together. Keep looking to Christ. Keep observing this day as your witness that you have a hope. And be a witness of the unbelieving world that you have a hope. What's the nature of the Lord's day? It's a Sabbath. What else is it? It's the new Christian Sabbath. I hate the word. You also hated the word Calvinist and now you're okay with it. Some of you even call yourself that. It is what it is. You don't like the word? Get over it. That's what God calls it. Finally, Paul's emphasis and exclusive focus in these verses is the old order. The old order of things and its particular, peculiar order. Paul is only thinking of the religious order of the old creation, the Old Testament. And and listen, I say old order because when Paul was writing, he didn't see it as an Old Testament. We see it as an Old Testament. Paul considered it as the old order of things. Amen? But not for a moment is Paul referring to or even thinking of the new order of things, the new covenant. Paul never, if, if Paul was thinking that way, he would have never spoke the way he did in Romans chapter 14. He would have never spoke that if he was not exclusively thinking about the old order of things. The fact is this. There is a new day, a new order that Paul regarded and observed himself as a matter of duty. That's just not discussed in this passage. See that? But he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't have to. It's established all throughout the New Testament. The whole of Galatians is focused on Paul's response to the Judaizers who were attempting to bring the Christians back into beggarly things. The old order. But that is not for a moment Paul disregarding or refuting a new order of things in the new Christian Sabbath. Instructions given to Corinth that were also given to the church of Galatia about what the first day becomes clearer in Colossians. 
that finds its ultimate understanding in Hebrews. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. What was it that Paul was concerned about? And here's the ending. Thanks. Sis. What was it that Paul was concerned about in regarding or observing the seven day Sabbath? Here's what Paul's main concern was. The main concern of Paul was this. The seven day Sabbath was a shadow of that which was fulfilled in Christ, which means what? Which means that it's observance. If you're observing the seventh day. You are showing that you do not believe that Christ has come. That's his main issue. If you're still doing this, you're saying you don't believe. And that Christ, you don't understand, is, is the, the blazing glory fulfillment of that seventh day. To keep a seventh day Sabbath is to deny that Christ has come. Listen, to fail to keep a first day Sabbath is to deny that Christ has, has, has risen and that he will return. If you fail to keep a seven day, you're saying he's not come. If you fail to keep a first day, you're saying he has not risen and he will not return. For that is the sign that it points to. So enjoy this day. It's been given to you as a means of grace until he returns. Don't walk away, hear this and do nothing about it. I know, but I've got to work. I understand that. That's a, a means of necessity or a work of necessity. You have to do what you have to do to live. But if you're just staying home and saying, eh, not today, with no reason, then what are you showing as a sign? What sign are you showing by your refusing to join the saints to worship? You don't realize how powerful that is. You want to be a witness? You want to learn how to share the gospel? One of those witnesses is being with the saints as you worship on the Lord's Day Sabbath. What greater witness to show your unbelieving friends and family that you have a hope in Christ, that you believe he has risen and that he will return for that is his promise. And when you show up, not just in the morning, but also in the evening, you show, I believe. I believe. It is a command. It is a means of grace. Enjoy it. Let us stand.